Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy, and I use she or they pronouns. And this week, I'm talking to three people from Yellow Peril Tactical. Yellow Peril Tactical is a group of Asian, I guess, firearms enthusiasts. That's probably not the proper way to say it. They'll explain themselves a a little bit better in a moment. But they are a group of people who organize different uh, shooting clubs and different tactical training, as well as putting out a lot of content online. They're actually one of the more interesting sources of non-right-wing gun stuff on the internet. And so I was very excited to sit down and talk to them about what is involved in starting your own firearms club and what is involved in organizing as marginalized people. And also talk to them about guns. You'll be shocked to know. So there'll be some geeking out about guns, but a lot of it is about how to organize stuff and make things happen. This podcast is a proud member of the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcasts, and here's a jingle from another show on the network. Da 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 da. Hello. If you are listening, then you are here on purpose. This is Twin Trouble, the podcast about fighting the system and staying rebellious while incarcerated. The show takes the form of a recorded phone call between my twin brother, currently locked up in a federal transfer overflow jail in Grady County, and myself in the free world of Chicago. Jerry, why are we talking about prison abolition? The reason why they do this whole prison thing is basically they keep people's voices down. They want to shield the public from the day-to-day experiences of what people who are incarcerated are going through. I'm not going to take this thing down or bent over. I'm standing up and I'm going to continue to speak my mind about what's going on. So I hope that with these series of podcasts that we can uh, get something going, you know, we can uh, set it up. So today we got a busy episode, don't we? That's right. I am Jason. And I am Jeremy. We are Twin Trouble. Twin Trouble is part of the Channel Zero Network. Listen on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Okay, if you all could introduce yourself with, uh, I guess, your, your name, your pronouns, and then, uh, I guess, what brings you to Yellow Pyrotactical. Hi, I'm Snow. She, they pronouns. I was invited to Yellow Peril Tactical by John Chinaman and another contributor. And I had been following their our work for a little bit. And the post that I actually have in mind is the one with the squid sauce and the handgun. And that just really like, I felt so seen just by that one picture. And I just really felt like, I don't know, it was a very pivotal moment for me. And a moment where I really felt like a sense of community around meeting other fellow leftist Asian folks who are also into firearms and self-defense, community defense, and also shared like a, a intention to get better for themselves, for their community. And I think just the the camaraderie, so to speak, among the other YPT tigers, dare I say has been really nice, actually. We shoot the shit a lot, but we also have a lot of like encouragement towards each other and give each other advice as well as folks that reach out to us. So that's kind of what keeps me in it. It's a fun time so far. What was the the post? It was one of the, our earliest posts, and it was like this um, pretty well-known like bottle of squid sauce. I use it all the time. And it's a handgun propped up by a chopstick. And <laughs> I just like, I saw that and was just like, what the fuck? Like, this is me. <laughs> yeah. 
Cool. I'm Camilla. I use she, her pronouns. I found out about YPT through the internet slash someone told me about it. And about a year and a half ago, almost, I started taking up firearms as a a training and self-defense tool and started getting really into community defense and have just been using it as something to get me out of the house and into the woods for the past year. And uh, I've been getting into doing the beginners slash intermediate people teaching other beginners thing. And actually the first time I ever heard that was on your show. So I, I, I heard that and I was like, yeah, that's totally what I'm about to start doing. That's wild. That's cool that other people are talking about it. So thank you for that. And I'll pass it to John. Oh, that's cool. Uh, hey y'all. I'm uh, John Chinaman. He, him pronouns. I am actually one of the original yellow apparel people, but I'll say before, like that doesn't fucking matter. Like it's, it doesn't matter when you join it. It holds no specialness being one of the original people, but I only say that to just explain that I was, uh, I was around at the beginning and basically what happened was me and some people that I shoot with in real life, we heard about this guy, uh, his name is Austin Tong and, uh, he was a Fordham student and he got in trouble from his, by his university because he had posed on Instagram with a firearm. And we were like, that's bad. And then we checked his Instagram and it's, it was all just like pro NRA bullshit, pro Donald Trump bullshit. Uh, I own a gun because, you know, I'm afraid of anti-Asian violence. Oh, me too. But I mean, oh damn, I wonder (laughs) if he's trying to stoke all that anti-Asian violence, you know, think about it there. And so we were just pissed off. We were just pissed off. We were just like, we had like toyed around with this before. We were like, hey, when are you going to start that yellow apparel Instagram account? And so I was in like, <laughs> I was in a freaking parking lot and I just started it and I was like, ah, shit. Like we actually have to like post things. Ah, shit. I don't want to reiterate too much what Snow and Camilla said, but honestly, one of the most special parts about this has been honestly learning, honestly learning about more of my own heritage, like talking to other people, you know, obviously, obviously I'm a farm enthusiast, but really talking to other people who are going through or have gone through similar things as me and learning about like what it means to be Asian American in these United States, so-called United States and grappling with that has honestly been the most special part for someone who didn't actually kind of grow up with that community. Yeah. Could one of y'all explain a little bit more, just kind of an overview of what Yellow Peril Tactical is to our listeners? Yeah, I can do that. We are a collection collective of uh, leftist uh, East and Southeast Asians that do a lot of firearms education, but we also do political education, uh, the occasional shit post, which the internet seems to really like. <laughs> uh, it seems like the memes actually that we put the least amount of effort in get the most likes. Uh, it's kind of wild. Like we'll just throw something together and it'll just get like a thousand likes and just makes no sense. But you know, it's cool. We also do fundraisers. Um, I think last year we raised like $5,600, something around there to various fundraisers. And we also post a lot of infographics geared towards new shooters. Like we've done a couple like how to shop for a firearm, like a handgun and a rifle. And like we did a Glock guide recently. And we also peer pressure people into posting their groups and splits. (laughs) <laughs> so we like seeing people get better, including ourselves. And we recently started doing like a drill of the month thing just to kind of give new shooters something to go on 
when they're at the range instead of just mag dumping with their friends. So yeah, we do all sorts of shit, but that's kind of like the main, our main hustle. It's definitely geared towards like newer shooters, people who are newer to firearms. Uh, second, everything that Snow said, it's very easy to just go to the range and be like, okay, cool. What do I do? Like just, just shoot a bunch of rounds into a microwave or something. And then you're like, oh no, I, this, is, <laughs> this is like a skill that like you can, like you can, like you can build and learn from others and teach others as well. But, but shooting a microwave sounds really fun though. I have been to a range area, like a public land, and there was like this random thing in the middle, and I got a closer look at it. Someone bought a fucking TV, <laughs> like a flat screen, and it was just like like in pieces. Like the, the screen was shattered, and then like the frame was all fucked up, and like whatever layers in between those two was just like perforated. And it was just so confusing to me because I'm just like, why? Who brings a TV out to the range and just shoots at it? That's so bizarre. I mean, it sounds like it would be a perfect like '90s anti-capitalist video, you know? Like <laughs> instead of like Office Space, where it's like a printer, it's just a fucking TV. Yeah, kill your television. Um, okay, so so there's a bunch of stuff I want to ask you about, and and some of it is a little bit more like theoretical and I, I kind of want to ask you a bit about, about your experiences, but I, I, I think I want to start a little bit with some of the practical stuff. Like uh, you all are, I mean, one of the things that I find so interesting about you all is that you're one of the best resources for new shooters on the left or probably just new shooters in general to gain firearms information that is like practical instead of, I don't know, shrouded. And you'll have this whole thing where you attack red fuds all the time. And I want to ask you about that in a little bit. But one of the things I want to ask you about is uh, what are some of these basic drills that new people can, or possibly intermediate people, but especially new people can be doing? Like what are groups and splits, for example? To start off, groups and splits is essentially taking metrics and applying it to how you're training. So that involves having a timer of some sort, you can do it the hard way, or you can go in with a bunch of friends to get a shot timer. And you essentially put up a fresh target, you have your shot timer, you press the button, usually have a delay set, at least that's how I prefer to do it. It goes beep, and then it from from that beep onward, it's it's counting the amount of time between your shots. And the groups part is how far away your rounds are hitting on the target, and the splits is the amount of time in between your shots. Usually, we pay most attention to the first shot and the last shot, but it totally depends on what the drill is. When it comes to drills, there's a lot of different, a lot of different things you can do. It entirely depends on where you're at in your journey. If it's your first day shooting, the drills are going to look really different than if you're going to the range to work on your draw from concealment or something in an ongoing kind of practice way. One of the things we talk about a lot is that when you're at the range, not going to lie, like shooting, shooting is expensive. Ammunition is expensive. Guns are expensive, right? So when you're at the range with live ammunition, it's good to show up with a plan. I mean, you may not stick to it, but show up for a skill like you want to work on, whether that's like getting rounds on target fast from your holster from concealment or whatever, or, being able to hit fast follow-up shots or being able to transition between targets quickly. There's a lot you can do at your house in dry fire. And for those who don't know, dry fire is you know, making sure your gun is unloaded, pointed in a safe direction, 
and practicing it, just pulling the trigger. And you can do a lot of that at home. And when you're on the range, you know, practicing the stuff that you can't do at home that you need live ammunition for, like recoil management. One of the things that we did our December, someone correct me if I'm wrong here, drill of the month. It was like putting four rounds on a three by five index card. Actually quite difficult. January, I see I see snow nodding at me because actually and Camilla too, because we've all been having trouble with this. <laughs> it's literally, literally draw, put two rounds on a three by five index card, reholster, draw, put two more rounds on. And it is very, very hard. It took me a week to do this, by the it way. It is unforgiving. It is yeah. extremely unforgiving. I finally did it today. What kind of range is that? Five yards, really not that okay. far. I mean, I don't think I could do it off. Like, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like it just sounds like very doable. Well, because it is. But when you're there and you're timing yourself, and someone's filming you, all your friends are watching. Yeah, you just kind of like revert to your worst uh, <laughs> fucking version of yourself. You know, you're just all your training goes out. You're at your more your most like primal, ah, like nerves just. One of the things I actually really appreciate about the content you all put up is I, I feel like you encourage people to post not just their like coolest, sexiest stuff, you know, like I, I, I think it was even today that you all posted like, I, I failed at the thing I was trying to do. And it was like someone like sitting there sad, you know, and, and, and I actually think that that's an important part of, of making people feel welcome into a sport like this, because this, it's so buried in machismo and it's not just in, in my experience it's not just about the the gender or the gender presentation of the people that you're shooting with but it's it's stuff like that it's the like making sure you can do like the coolest thing and then only po posting your like super coolest also one of the reasons i appreciate it is that uh, frankly across the board when i watch watch right wing or left wing or centrist whatever like gun tube people they always look like they think they're really badass looking and it never looks like smooth or good. And I'm always like, huh? Okay. Like <laughs> it's all like slow motion with dramatic music and stuff as they like kind of like jiggle with this thing. And there's lots of, I don't know, this is completely meaningless to anyone who doesn't spend all their time watching dumb videos about new <laughs> calibers and shit but it so that's something i really appreciate about you all is, is the way that you break down some of that machismo just by actually being honest about what the journey looks like that's not really a question sorry no i'm glad that you brought that up because like um we teach like 101s to folks in the area and something that i always incorporate into when i'm teaching is just like telling folks one marksmanship is like not the goal of the 101 class and when i first started shooting i was fucking horrible awful and i probably say it like two to three times within like the first hour and i do it in a way to be like yeah like a lot of people aren't fucking good most people aren't good at shooting for a very long time even if they've been shooting for years but I think bringing that like honesty and like humility means a lot to folks because like guns are intimidating yeah. and like it's already hard enough to learn a new skill, let alone one that's uh, fucking firearms. Yeah. Yeah. And it's intimidating because like we're presented with this message and this worldview, or at least I was growing up in liberalism that 
the only legitimate and skilled people with firearms are law enforcement and military. And that those skills like reside squarely in their domain. And I think like the demystification process of like going out to the range, having someone show you who feels like from your community, like your friend, mm-hmm. your family member chosen or otherwise, or your comrade, having them really like spend some time with you and like show and put some care into how the stuff is presented really just kind of like cuts through a lot of the misogyny and like the, the militaristic machismo culture, like you y'all were talking about and shooting guns isn't actually that hard. It's just, there's so (laughs) much mental shit attached to it. Um, It's, it's really hard to shoot with like, you know, whatever hair's breadth precision, but I don't know if there's any, I don't know if that's real to be honest. Like I know there's people that drill that, and but like 99% of the people out there are relying on a veneer of like machismo to to really get the point across but yeah yeah it's all bullshit like just need to find people that are willing to like sit down with you and I think maybe that's one of the goals of our page and our collective is just like to to be a, a virtual friend or something we answer all of those DMs every basically every single one gets answered and just so just so listeners who like don't know a lot about guns know like if you are if you're going to the range like once a month with some buddies and like trying to just you know just do your best like i'm not even saying you have to be good just like do your best put rounds on target see if you can learn from your mistakes you're already shooting more than the law enforcement officer on, on the on the beat like you're already doing more than <laughs> those people like so you're not even joking i've had vets who have been part of different shooting groups who I've been around. I used to live somewhere with access to a shooting range and the vets didn't know better than other people. I don't know how to say this politely. (laughs) And also the number of times I had to insist that yes, actually people should wear ear protection and it's always vets who are like, Oh, we don't need ear protection or whatever. One okay, so one of my questions we talked a little bit about the like misogyny and bravado, but I'd, I'd love to talk about guns. Is hey, in the United States, a traditionally white supremacist or at least primarily white space, um, gun culture, and obviously you all are an intervention into that. And I'd like to kind of ask you more about ways in which racial dynamics come up and how you all handle them and what especially uh, listeners of color or you know people can can take away from what you all have learned yeah um i could take the first stab at that i think uh growing up that was definitely my understanding of it that it's mostly white cis dudes that go shooting and go hunting and posts unsolicited pictures of their hunts on social media and i get to look at them and you know i Grew up in like an anti-gun household. Like my parents are um, Vietnamese refugees, and so their their relationship to guns and war is just that it's bad, right? Like they endured a lot of trauma. Like my mom hid under a table until like the '90s, whenever she even heard like a helicopter fly over the house. Um, and this is when she was living in the states. Like they got here in the '80s, right? So that's how deep like that warfare trauma was for my family. And you know, my mom's side of the family lives in. Um, East Bay, California. And so, you know, they 
aren't familiar with guns. And I knew that, but I never really interacted with it because it was like, it's my male cousins, you know? And so getting into it more in the last like year and a half has been like uh, a wholly new endeavor in a lot of ways. Um, Being a part of YPT makes that a lot easier and more navigatable. But overall, like the majority of the people I see at the range, like whether or not I know them, are still like white people and a lot of chuds. And it's intimidating, not just because of them being men, but also because they're like politically opposed to people like me that look like me taking the means necessary to like defend ourselves and our community. And it motivates me in a lot of ways to be the best that I can be. But ultimately, like it doesn't take away that like stress that I feel like the anxiety I feel around who else has guns. But I find that the more folks like minded folks that I've met shooting and going to range days, like we need more well, maybe not we need, but like there ought to be more BIPOC folks and um, femme and non-binary presenting people, identifying people uh, in these spaces if they want to be. And from the conversations that I have, like they want to be there. Like we have so many people reaching out to us via DMs or like, how do I get involved in a group? Like, do you know anybody in this area? Sometimes we do and sometimes we don't, but we've seen a trend of like more and more people like reaching out and asking for those kinds of resources. And I think given, you know, especially since 2017 after Charlottesville, like it's becoming much, much more apparent how brazen a lot of these armed right-wing militias are going to be. Uh, I think January 6, 2021 was a lot, a wake-up call for a lot of people. I was horrified, but not surprised. I was a bit entertained, to be honest. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) Um, but at the same time, I was just like, you know, we warned y'all. We have been saying this and y'all think we're not based in reality when we say these things. But yet here we are. And, you know, with the rise in hate crimes against Asian people, um, I've mentioned this on like one of our previous podcasts, but just like my aunt and grandma were mugged a couple summers ago and like my aunt was knocked unconscious and like spent a couple days in the hospital. And this was like during the wave of like anti-Asian hate crimes. And that actually like kind of um, validated my like inner stress and anxiety of like this kind of thing. And that I think it's a far-fetched reality to think that like hate will go away as, as long as we just keep organizing Mm-hmm. The right is always going to be there. Fascism is always going to be there. And the only way we can endure is by being resilient and continuously adapting. And so firearms and firearms education for myself and others is like one of the what tangible ways that I feel like I can move towards that resiliency. I just talked a lot, but yeah. No, no, that's all really useful. I mean, I, I'll, I'll say it like I got my first gun uh, I think it was like 20, I think it was 2018. I mean, it wasn't very good or practicing a lot, but that's when I got mine. So it was, it was in the wake of Charlottesville and seeing some of that stuff happen. And, um, you know, I, I want to second, like what Snow said about finding a group, finding a crew. 
not only to keep you like sort of motivated, it's obviously more fun when you do it with others, just opposed to just like going to the rage and just blast around by yourself. But in some cases, it can honestly, honestly be related to your own physical safety. And I hate saying this, especially if there's people out there who are new to firearms or thinking about getting into firearms. But I mean, like me and me and people I shoot with, like we'll go to, we'll go to ranges and we'll see like three percent militia there. You know what I mean? Dudes who, and they're all, and they're all dudes, obviously like people who given the chance that they knew what we believed or even, you know, some people's, you know, racial makeup or, you know, or sexuality, like people could get hurt. Like, you know, one time people started pulling tags, like at a, like at a range once where I was at, like having people to not only keep you motivated, but to help keep you safe is honestly very important in a space where uh, it's a lot of armed reactionary white dudes. I gotta let this dog out. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. What, where I live currently, I'm back undercover, like I'm back in the closet, essentially um, in a lot of the in- situations I find myself in um, just because I'm, I'm now in a, uh, a sort of deeper rural situation than I was previously. And it, you know, I have the like, oh, I have white privilege. And then I have like the capacity to put on, well, no one ever reads me as straight, no matter how hard I try. But I, you know, I can put up enough of a front that people can ignore my bangs and my braid or something like that. And it's, it's a, sometimes it's just a matter of safety, but that's, something I can do because I'm white. I don't know. I have no grand statement out of that, actually. Yeah. And and, I mean, it's because it's different for everyone. Everyone's negotiation of like arming up and what that means and the things that that confronts you with uh, is is really different. But it's, I don't want to say always, but a lot of the time it's really intense and you're kind of like navigating your own like mortality i don't want to be too philosophical and heavy about it but like yeah you you don't want to downplay the fact that you have like a machine on you or that you're training with it at the very least or owning it that is designed expressly for killing and there's no there's no way (laughs) to dilute that and it's dangerous too so yeah i don't know about other folks but i have a really fragmented consciousness around it i can I, I can't forget that I have these things, especially if they're on your person. Mm-hmm. But you also can't be thinking about it constantly, at least in a way that gets your nervous system going into fight, flight, freeze. And yeah, a, a level of normalization and like taking it kind of slow and maybe figuring out what sort of increments you can uh, dip your toes and your ankles and your calves and your quads, you know, like you, you, <laughs> you don't jump in, you don't cannonball into like having a gun, hopefully. I mean, sometimes there's like intense situations, right? But you navigate those as you, as they come up. But yeah, other, otherwise you, you, you like to have bite-sized chunks. Otherwise it can be like too much and you maybe overlook something and doing it with a crew doing it with at least one other person means that someone is watching your back and bringing things to your attention that we sometimes overlook. Well, that actually leads me to one of the main questions I have for you all. Um, you know, similar to you all saying in your DMs, you constantly have people asking basically, how do I get started? 
And I think that's actually one of the biggest questions facing the anti-authoritarian left in general right now is like literally like people want to join us and don't know how. And especially right now in these times of like pretty intense isolation, people don't know how. And so I'm hoping that you all will just magically solve this in the next short bit of time by answering the following question, which is how do people, how can people get started? How can people start their own shooting groups? Like how do you, not necessarily like how do you find a crew, but maybe how do you like make the crew a crew? How do you, how do you get going? Well, you got to complete prestige in Call of Duty first. That's the first step. Oh my God. (laughs) There's actually a reference that goes over my head. I'm aware that there's a video game called Call of Duty, but I don't know what prestige is. Uh, it, it was like an, an answer antithetical to the one that I want to give. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I picked up that part, but now I'm curious. What is prestige in Call of Duty? Yeah, tell us, Camilla. Uh, prestige mode is when you max out on your level. Uh, I think it's like mm-hmm. 55 or something. And then you go through again and you just keep doing it. That's, uh, that's like the om- like almost violent level of like never endingness <laughs> of these types of like <laughs> games where you're just like you're just putting a different patina on your gun and spending eight hours to get there, you know? Cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stupid reference aside, <laughs> I'd say that there's no uh, cut and dry way to get there, but there is a way for pretty much every single person to get there. So I don't have like a roadmap necessarily but maybe uh me and snow can tag team this because i don't know if my brain alone is up for the task of like responding to this and it's a very important question i did it by just watching youtube honestly that's that's Mm -hmm. me being a millennial um just watching youtube trying to find some like good introductory like safety videos and videos Mm -hmm. about philosophy of keeping a gun not like deep like treatises on owning guns. That's not what I mean. I mean like philosophy as in how do you, how do you do this rightly? You know, Mm -hmm. how do you protect yourself, protect everyone around you, not expose anyone to danger? What are all the things to think about in your life? And then there's like political things. I would say some of those things are like, are you dealing with like multiple voices in your head saying like, you don't need a gun. Like, cause those, those types of voices are generally like the liberal in your head gaslighting you um, and like downplaying the realness of your life. So I would say that, you know, that's a thing to reckon with. That's a thing I've reckoned with personally. And you just kind of like have to do it out of love sometimes. <laughs> that's where I'm going to leave this thought for right now. I'll pass it off to someone else. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's a good start to the answer. I think like to add on, it's just like, what are your goals? Like, what is it that you intend to do with these firearms? Hopefully it's self-defense and community defense and starting out with just one friend, you know, that constitutes a shooting group. But I think, you know, I was going to say SRA, but I've heard very mixed reviews about those locals. I think some are good, um, but I can't. uh, SRA is the Socialist Rifle Association. Yes, thank you. My bad. No, it's all good. And maybe starting there, um, you could also always send us a DM on YPT. But, you know, I think with all the different leftist gunstagrams that have popped up over the last, like, year, like, it might be worth a start, like, seeing if any of them, you know, 
kind of look like they live in your area? Or if not, just like asking them for advice? Because most of the people that are on leftist gun Instagrams, I want to say most, not all, um, mm-hmm. are pretty nice um, <laughs> and pretty humble. Uh, and I think it's really hard when like, you live in an area where there's not a lot of like identifiable leftists. And so that can be very hard. Or if you live in an area where guns are hard to access, like that brings a whole other set of obstacles that you have to go through in order to acquire firearms or the knowledge. But, you know, like Camilla said, like YouTube's a really good place to start. Our page is a really good place to start. If you're aware of even just like the any mutual aid groups in your area that just do like self-defense classes, like like hand-to-hand self-defense kind of stuff mm-hmm. might be a good place to start. Like zine fests, you never know who's going to be at the zine fest. <laughs> Could be some cool people there. So I think it's just like trying to find community first might be a good idea, especially among leftists. You know, out in the Pacific Northwest, we have quite a few zine fests and you never know what you're going to find. <laughs> the, the starting with people in the community like that's that's legit like i know and they're not in my area but there is a group of food not bombs people that we know that basically just doubles as a shooting group they feed homeless people and they're doing a ton of great work and they double as a shooting group it's pretty freaking awesome they do a ton of self-defense stuff as well i know you mentioned so uh sra social survival association earlier Seems like it's very heavily chapter dependent. Some chapters are just like, just, just balling out, like just wonderful people, like lots of resources. People who are very skilled, eager to teach lots of new people who are eager, eager to learn. Some chapters seem to exist only on paper. It's always worth reaching out. If there's a, if there's one in your area to reach out and see like what they do and who who's around basically. There's also, um, I d- that reminded me of like Arm Your Friends. They're relatively new on Graham and um, they're a great place to start also. Okay. There's like having trouble with this kind of like implies that there's a challenge or a barrier, right? To like getting into this. I think some of those common barriers that we hear about slash have encountered ourselves are your friends are libs or <laughs> your friends like don't just ag- agree with your decision and your analysis <laughs> conclusion that like hey i want to be armed now regardless of what the reason is regardless of what the goals are like if you have lib friends they're going to push back on that probably and that is something you can you know work in those relationships around or you can try to develop some new relationships and i think like the latter is really like the best way to go about uh, getting some people to shoot with on like a quicker timeline because you don't mm-hmm. know where your friends are going to move. You, do you even want to be learning in the context of more liberal folks who aren't necessarily like ready politically, et cetera, to, to start shooting? So like ways to do that are DMing people and like trying to set a meetup time, like the old fashioned, like hitting people up cold or, you know, kind of just like plumbing <laughs> your uh, social connections and trying to figure out who knows who and you know, it can be hard and intimidating as fuck to reach out to people because people are like, are you an op? You must be an op. And there's a lot of that paranoia and that's very real and that's not going to go anywhere. But the more you can like create like authentic, genuine connection with people who are already doing this or have voiced being interested in it, 
the better time you're going to have. So just look for those moments and opportunities, I guess. I went shooting today with someone I met at DSA of all places. Like people always trash DSA or whatever. Yeah. Democratic Socialists of America. Democratic Socialists of America. People always trash. I'm like, oh yeah, they're a bunch of libs, blah, blah, blah. Dude's a really good shooter, eager, eager to like share knowledge and whatnot. Like you just meet people. I think that we have these assumptions about how people like when you live in a echo chamber, I, I lived in an echo chamber for a very long time. Now I don't live in an echo chamber because I live, the echo chamber is me and my dog. So, so I, I'm not trying to bash that, but when we live in these echo chambers, we can start thinking to ourselves like, Oh, DSA is all liberals or all liberals hate guns or in, you know, all of these things that don't really hold up necessarily uh, to, to closer analysis. And also things are, changing dramatically and quickly. You know, a lot of people who were liberals a few years ago aren't anymore. Um, shout out to the more than one liberal financial building accounts that I know, like the people who like tell you what to do with money that are now like going anarchist because of the times and because of just actually more availability of an understanding of I mean, these are clearly people who understand capitalism, right? And it used to be they were all about helping poor people navigate capitalism to, to work through it, to to come out ahead. And now they're a little bit more like actually this whole system. Anyway, so I, I guess I'm I, I I would say I'm not surprised by um, you know, finding uh, comrades in, in all kinds of places. And um, I know my own experience is that. It's, it's kind of actually not necessarily the best thing. I'm usually the most experienced firearms person around when I'm shooting just literally because I'm, a, I'm at the low end of intermediate, but I, I work with new people a lot. And, and that's actually has worked really well for me. It's just a lot of people coming forward and just being like, I mean, some of it is like, yo, I'm, I'm kind of sick of all these dudes who are like, like trying to teach me how to like, like more than once people have been like, my boyfriend really wants to go shooting and I want to go shooting, but honestly, I don't want to learn from him. <laughs> um, you know, and like, that's actually a thing I would say to like someone who's considering learning to shoot, like maybe don't learn from your significant other, especially if there's like kind of a traditional gender relationship going on in your, in your relationship, you know, anyway, that's a tangent, but okay. Well, now that we've solved that and everyone will feel perfectly free to, uh, start doing this, which is great. I've been trying to solve this for a long time. I want to talk about the kinds of people you don't want to go shooting with. And I want to talk about the Mosin the Gaunt, which is the best rifle ever made and the 1911, the best handgun ever made. And I want to talk to you all about why you agree that we should look for the firearms that won wars a hundred years ago instead of the firearms that are currently in use by militaries and how we should value aesthetics over function. Is that correct? That's y'all's line with uh, Yellow Perro Tactical, right? Yeah, I can tell you've been, uh, you've been studying up on our Instagram bio. The <laughs> I forgot what was used. Oh, go, go ahead, John. Go ahead, go ahead Camilla. Okay. <laughs> um, 1911 is uh, a Colt 45 handgun that uh, Chud's, Often cite, What's a chud um, in this context? A chud in this context is a tending toward violent, like right-wing, conservative, authoritarian person. Okay. Um, very broadly speaking. They often say that two world wars, it won two world wars. So that's like, that's the joke of the 1911. Um, mm-hmm. 
the history behind that weapon is interesting and horrific as is the interest as is the um, history behind like literally every gun that was involved in conflict. But I, I have an I have an interesting story. The reason I chimed in so quickly is because uh, I have an uncle who um, has been a cop, has been a retired cop for almost my whole life. Because so he's like he's like pretty old, um, but he still every day carries. He he like his thing is like carrying a nineteen eleven in. Uh, his fanny pack and like you know I, I, I grew up with this person like almost my entire life um, so finally I'm like hey what's up uncle like I'm into I'm into guns now like what's up let's talk and so the next time I see him he he takes me um, outside into the backyard where we where we can have like a second of private and he's like yeah let me show this thing to you really quick flagging flagging is when someone swings the muzzle of the gun across your body or holds it on you unintentionally usually. Uh, so when, when you say, hey, you flagged me, it means someone pointed a gun at you, which means that they're violating <laughs> one of the most basic like safety principles of like mm-hmm. having firearms. So he, he flags me multiple times with it. And I'm, I'm just like astounded because like it confirms everything that I think I know about police officers, which is that they're incompetent and aren't good at shooting and aren't safe but i it was just like such a rich moment for me and i i said something both times and he just kind of like waved it off and was like it's a sick gun though right um i mean like he's, <laughs> he's in his 80s so he's not saying sick but that, that was his equivalent and yeah that, that's maybe all you need to know about people who really love 1911s i mean like collectors and stuff there's exceptions to everything that i'm saying that's like a generalization, but in the Mosin is a Russian rifle that someone else can talk about. The, the 1911, right? Like it's a, it's a classic. Yeah. But it should be left as a classic. It holds seven rounds of 45, which is a slow, a slow round. It's not really as good as nine millimeter, which, which if you, you're not into guns, like every guns you think of generally like shoot nine millimeter. They have a tendency to jam. Uh, they're not very good, but yes, old heads like them. But again, I agree with Margaret here. If you're going to get an old gun, you have to get a gun that was designed in 1891 by Sergei Mosin that symbolizes the, an authoritarian uh, Stalinist regime because that's what makes it good. The optics make it good, not you know, it doesn't matter if it's bolt action and fires extremely <laughs> slow and only holds five shots because back in the 40s, some conscripts carried it once upon a time and killed some fascists with it. And that's why it's still relevant in 2022. You heard it here first. The reason I love everyone being obsessed with Mosin the guns is that before I really knew much about guns and my friends would take me shooting, my friend took me shooting uh, actually on the Pacific Northwest and we were shooting one of his guns, which is a Mosin Nagant. And um, it fired without the trigger being touched twice. Oh. And because we practiced all of the other rules of firearm safety, nothing bad happened. The gun was always pointed downrange. And so when it went off on its own, it did so downrange. So I've never... Um, Never really trusted Mosin Nikons. Margaret, who doesn't love surprises? 
We all love surprises. You know, maybe this is too soon, but Alec Baldwin sure doesn't like surprises, you know. Oh my goodness. Oh my god. Oh. Mamma mia. <laughs> Rimshot. Uh, but but on all seriousness, if you have a Mosin, I'm pretty agnostic about whether you hold on to it or get rid of it. Don't shoot someone or yourself with it, please. They're like kind of affectionately and pejoratively referred to as garbage rods. And <laughs> that's kind of like what their value is. Obviously, they're bullets. It's a gun. You could really fuck someone up with it. Yeah, if you if you want to talk about um, good firearms to get into here and now, uh, we, we, can, we can talk briefly about that because that might be helpful for some people. But um, it's definitely going to be a more modern thing where you can like pull the trigger more than once without having to like you know pull a bolt back. But I think I think we should talk about that, Camilla. But it, it's probably worth saying that for a while, uh, for a while there, you would see it online all the time. Still do someone being like, you know, ready to bash the fash, right? And it's a, it's a firearm designed in 1891. It was just a, a crap tier rifle back in 1891, and you're like, man, why? You know, you, you can get, you know, you can get other stuff. And maybe it made sense when that firearm was a hundred dollars in a crate in your local sporting goods store. But, you know, we regularly post links to AR rifles that are like 440, $430, like good quality, like Soviet military surplus, like uh, the Mosin, which is a five shot bolt action rifle. So you have to like, uh, like cycle a bolt, work a bolt back and forth to shoot it or the SKS rifle, a firearm that was obsolete two years after it was introduced, holds 10, incredibly heavy. Like those guns are now going for five hundred to $700. So you can get a better gun for cheaper. And yet still we see to this day, people proudly posting pictures of Soviet military surplus. You know, we're ready. We're ready, boys. Like, ugh. you know, but let's get into more what Camilla said, because that was just depressing. I mean, just to like wrap it up though, like I think just to clarify for folks that like aren't super gun nerds, like we all are, is that, um, to pull out further of what John was saying is just like a lot of people out there are saying these kinds of, dare I say, antiquated firearms are not to like the performance that more modern guns are. And so for them to say it's just as good uh, is actually quite reckless and dangerous. And so that's why we're so against it as being your like primary firearm, right? Like I have a mm-hmm. lever action. Is that my primary carbine? Fuck no. But it is a, one of my favorite guns. Yes. Uh, so it's just like, you know, like we say, mission drives gear. Like you don't have to have that many guns. Like I have a shotgun, which I use for hunting and then a carbine and a handgun, right? Like no one's saying you got to get a crap load of guns and like maybe buying one of those guns back in the day. Yeah. It made sense when it was a hundred bucks. But now that you can get better stuff for cheaper, for cheaper, there's no there's no reason you should buy one with your hard-earned money and advocating that new firearm owners go buy those is frankly is 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 reckless, is negligent and reckless, honestly. I mean, I want one, but I want one in the context that bolt action is my favorite action to shoot. Uh, my current favorite it's fun. My, my current favorite rifle is my dad's 1972 22 mag 
bolt action rifle that's meant for shooting groundhogs. And it's my favorite gun. And it annoys me because 22 Magnum is the same price as like large is as same price as center fire ammunition, but it's like not particularly more effective than 22 LR, which is the cheapest ammunition, but it's my favorite gun. And so I, I completely feel you on the lever action. And I, I would totally have a Mosin Nagant. I'm, I'm, uh, I like history and, um, and there's like something like kind of, I mean, it's funny cause I, I, I spend most of my time, my waking hours trying to figure out how to be mean to authoritarian communism. Um, that's like, you know, what, what drives me my uh my life but i still kind of i'm like oh, that's a cool gun i don't know <laughs> so um but the thing i wanted to to point out really really quickly for yeah it was saying i i wanted to kind of geek out about guns with you all because i don't get a chance too much um in my day-to-day life but i think it was you all who brought to my attention this term red fud uh and would and would one of you be able to briefly explain what a red fud is and what a fud is so to sort of tie up this before we talk about good guns uh, it's a reference to Elmer Fudd, I believe. Um, red meaning communist. Fudd, affectionately, of course. Uh, Fudd is Elmer Fudd. Um, so, like, the caricature is someone who believes in and uh, is a proponent of what we call Fudd lore, which is the <laughs> comment. You know, it, it's like summed up in comments like the SKS is just as good as the AK 47. Um, or the SKS is just as good as an AR-15 from wherever. Give me some. Give me some other ones. I guarantee you that everyone in here has heard the fud lore that on the news when Joe Biden said, "All you need is two shotgun blasts. If someone's coming to your house, just fire in the air. They'll run away." Yeah, that's massive. That's massive fud lore. Do not fire your gun <laughs> into the air aimlessly and hoping the other person will run away. Like, it's or, also a crime. Warning shots yeah, are completely illegal. The president is telling you to do something that is a I, crime. I don't want to. I don't want to opine on any, every jurisdiction, but yeah, usually you don't do that. <laughs> um, or yeah, uh, it's not. Or Camilla's Colt. Camilla's Colt story, right? It's like, why would you want to buy one of them plastic Glocks? Got one of these all metal Colt forty five, two World Wars, fun lore. Yeah, um, like racking the shotgun being the defense enough to save you from someone breaking in your home trying to harm you. That's another FUD lore piece. Yeah, I mean, so there's like, there's FUDs that are like more authoritarian, right? Um, and then there's like red FUDs. So you make a distinction sometimes. But when you <laughs> when you want to talk about FUD lore, you don't need to make the distinction. Okay, so if someone listening to this is like, I don't know how this particular episode will convince people that they need to get a gun, but let's say it did. And people want to get involved in shooting um, for self and community defense purposes. What would be good introductory firearms? Glock 19, you know, it's in the, it's, you know, there's three categories of handguns, right? There's full Mm -hmm. size, compact and subcompact. Typically, you see most people like conceal carry subcompact and and compacts. Um, but for smaller frames, people um, even a Glock nineteen can be hard to conceal. But generally speaking, if you only want to buy one handgun, a Glock nineteen is like what we'd recommend, or at least what I'd recommend. That's like an in between size. Yeah, um, and it holds fifteen rounds um, stock, but you can buy extendos that. Uh, it's that slang for extended magazine um, or stendo even for shorter slang. 
that could hold up to like 30 rounds if you want to be ridiculous at the range. But that's a very common handgun. It's also usually standard issue for a lot of law enforcement. So there's just like a lot of aftermarket parts that you can buy to add on to the Glock 19 if you want. But it's also just like very common to have it, even for smaller handed folks like myself can handle it fairly well uh, for the most most part. I think I've known a couple people that have had trouble handling it. But I mean, that's the handgun that I would recommend. Um, anyone else? Camilla, John, for handguns? I have one handgun. It's a Glock 19. Like, I second everything what Snow said, and it has a lot of magazines out there because your gun doesn't work if it doesn't have magazines. So, for example, CZ, I don't know what it stands for, some Czech manufacturer, technology, we like to call it. During the pandemic, you like couldn't get CZ mags because like they had all dried up. Like they were nowhere to be found. You still get Glock mags though. So, uh, Camilla? Yeah, I, I'm big into Glocks too. I don't know if anyone was like holding out hope that we'd say something different. <laughs> but I would say categorically, uh, polymer, meaning plastic, mm-hmm. striker fired, as opposed to hammer operated, handgun. Like So polymer, striker fired guns are the easiest to use. They're reliable. If you get one from a brand like Glock, you're going to have a lot of parts everywhere. If you get it in a common caliber, like nine millimeter, there's going to be ammo everywhere when there's not a general ammo shortage. That's a different story though. But yeah, I don't know. That's what was important to me on top of the reliability, on top of like the usability for me and my body, which ultimately that's what this is all about, right? It's a tool. So you don't want to get a screwdriver or a saw that sucks to use. You want to get one that molds to your body and that you can like use exactly how you want to use it. And I think the same goes for a gun. You can hold guns at gun stores. That can really suck though. I mean, just not a fun like situation when someone you don't know hands you a gun and expects you to act in a way that you might not understand yet. Mm-hmm. So I would say if you know anyone that has one that you know is, or that you have some level of trust is going to, be safe with it or if you've had some conversations already then you can ask them if you can like hold it or you know if the priority isn't buying the gun but just kind of like trying to figure out which one you ultimately like someday maybe soon want to buy then maybe just start doing some research and try to figure out like what size you're going for what your application is what's your goal i'm going to make a suggestion other than glock just to be uh conflictual and i do this on y'all's instagram all the time and y'all are very polite and don't argue with me and just ignore it which is that i really like it's still a polymer frame striker fired nine millimeter handgun but i really like the mnp series from smith and wesson and frankly i like them because i think they're prettier i think glocks are ugly and i don't like that because i'm vain (laughs) they are prettier and And one of my favorite experiences, and this actually has nothing to do with the quality of Glock. I think it has to do with hand grip, but I was shooting once with someone who was just being really, really dismissive of my M&P and was just singing the praises of Glocks. And then his Glock kept misfiring and my M&P didn't misfire during that. And so I was very uh, vindicated and, and was winning people over. And so this is the kind of thing that you can look forward to doing is having meaningless opinions about minutia. Um, and that's the main reason to get involved with gun culture is to have large disagreements about minutia. 
At least that's the main thing I would argue. I mean, no, you're right. You're right, Margaret. The whole point of gun culture is to pick a brand and then saddle yourself and hitch your wagon to that brand for the rest of your life until your dying days. I mean, you know, that's it. Why else get into guns? You know, that's why I got into it personally. I'll just you heard it here first, folks. This is my nightmare. Yeah. So for the record, we do like the M&P, especially the 2.0, Margaret. That's why we don't. That's why we don't. That's why we don't argue with you. And uh, yeah, so uh, especially now that the, the Shield Plus is uh, um, double stack now, and so you can get Ooh. a reasonable number of uh, bullets into a semi uh, a subcompact. Um, and that's what my concealed carry gun is a Shield Plus. It's it's probably worth mentioning just very quickly, like a, a lot of us like Glocks, but ultimately what Camilla said is really what what hits the heart of it. I mean, you're really looking for something polymer, striker-fired in 9mm. So striker as opposed to uh, as opposed to hammer. You get the most bang for your buck. Uh, that's, that was terrible. I didn't even need to do that. You get, you get, <laughs> we talked about um, this. <laughs> you, you get the most uh you get the most like value add per dollar up to around like probably like 600 or so dollars. Then after that, you're really having diminishing returns there. Um, I mean, we had a post that people actually got really mad at us for about a Soviet surplus gun called the Makarov. And we told people to buy a high point instead, which is $150 polymer striker fired nine millimeter, and it'll shoot quality defensive ammunition, unlike some sort of crappy Soviet surplus weapon. And you're probably going to get hate mail now, Margaret, publishing this opinion. <laughs> and if you want to get a rifle, uh, get an AR platform or an AK platform. Um, we can go into more depth if, you, if we have time uh, right now, but don't get old, needlessly specific guns from history unless you already have guns that accomplish all your core needs. Also, like, don't buy a SCAR as your first rifle. What's a scar? Uh, it's a French. Um, it's funny. When I was first getting into firearms, the French abbreviation is FN. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? Mm. Fucking nice. And so now whenever I see it, I'm like, fucking nice. <laughs> um, but national. It's, yes. But of course. Um, but it's a fucking like 5,000 starting rifle that looks cool, shoots well, eats through optics. Um, but it's kind of like, um, it's like quite the undertaking if you're new to shooting rifles and like Camilla said, you know, ARs or AKs, like AKs used to be popular in the way, oh, well, used to be, excuse me. They still yeah. are popular, but they used to be more affordable, uh, compared to like AR platforms. Now, not so much. Um, you know, they range in like the 900 plus now, whereas before you could get a quality AK for like, 500, uh, give or take. Um, but I think for folks that are new to rifles, like ARs tend to be more modular, meaning that you can add more easily different accessories on your carbine. So you can add a flashlight, an optic, um, a little, you know, cell phone charm maybe. Um, but <laughs> you can just have more rail options for the AR and it's much easier to just like do it yourself versus like the AK, which has a different, different structure. So it's a little bit harder. Like some come with like a side mount. 
sometimes you have to install that yourself. So it's just more steps. And oftentimes you need like gunsmithing tools to get that kind of stuff done. And so that can be a barrier for folks. Um, so, I mean, the AK looks fucking cool. You know, I have one. <laughs> what can I say? But like, um, it just depends. Like AK reloads look cooler, you know, because you got the the bolt that's just that click is just so good. Um, but it's a lot harder sometimes to add on stuff, especially if you want to keep the wood furniture that looks just like so good. But it's a compromise to either have the aesthetics of the wood furniture or getting like a rail installed. One of the YPT homies ended up having to take an angle grinder to, I think, a handguard so it would fit on his AK because it was the wrong type of AK. AR, ARs, like, just get parts, put them on. I mean, if you like angle grindering stuff, yeah, knock yourself out. I don't. I'm not handy like that. Also, yeah, uh, second what Snow said about the SCAR, it's nice. It is not $5,000 nice. Nope. Well, clearly this would never apply to guns because, of course, there's different laws about the transfer of guns and you, by and large, can't buy people guns legally. And so, But there's always the kind of like, once you hit the level of diminishing returns of a, of a survival tool, I find that it's better rather than getting the like super fancy version of the thing is to just get another one and give it to someone else. Because I'd rather the person walking next to me having a good enough first aid kit instead of me having like the super best one, you know? And, um, and again, obviously this gets very complicated with guns, but, but there are parts that are not the gun that you can buy for people and might be worth, um, spending money on instead, you know? Okay. Well, we've been talking for a while and I guess I, I kind of have one final ambiguous question that you can kind of reframe however you would like. And I, I, it's a little bit of a, like, why guns? What does community defense look like to you? What what is the um what what are you going for here? <laughs> Sell me on it. Or talk about something completely different and do a final thoughts thing. Totally up to you. Uh I could take a stab at it. This is yet another thing that I've mentioned in some of our previous podcasts, but um essentially like I could be rainbow belt in unnamed martial arts but ultimately like if some six seven motherfucker wants to harm me like you know i'm kind of fucked uh and so in some ways like it's an equalizer right and that's not to say that like my firearm is my first line of defense of course i'm going to do all of the verbal de-escalation prioritize escape whip out my pepper spray, you know, but uh, ultimately, like, it's uh, something that I feel like I would need for my own safety and also uh, community safety. Like, we've seen chuds, right-wingers, what have you, like, attack people just, like, marching in the streets, exercising their First Amendment rights, and we've seen them pull guns on people, right? We've seen them murder people, and it's just kind of like if they got them like i think it's uh it behooves us to also consider getting them right because as cliche as it says like you don't bring a knife to a gunfight right like if they see that you have one they're gonna think twice and if they don't think twice then you have a, at least the means to defend yourself and whoever else that you're with 
Um, and I think the time or the argument for like, well, we just need to get rid of guns is like fucking so done. Like it's <laughs> too late for that. We're so far removed from that reality that mm-hmm. to say that is just like, it's just, and I mean, that's that it's not based in reality. Like that's the life that we live in. And it's like, you know, did Vietnamese people during the American war in Vietnam, like have a strong opinion on guns? No, but did they also pick up guns? Yes. Right. Like at that point in time, it wasn't about a matter of opinion. It was about a matter of survival. And that is kind of, that is how I see it is that it's, you know, I'm not here to philosophize, philosophize, um, you know, all day long. It's, you know, understanding and being aware of the situation and like the climate around me and taking the means that I feel like I need to defend myself and those I love. I think about it and have like rationalized it to people in my life to help them understand that I'm not necessarily out here training for today or tomorrow. I have like a, an informed, realist kind of like perspective on what might lie ahead. And so I'm kind of like trying to get myself to somewhere other than behind the eight ball when it comes time to use those skills. I don't necessarily walk around thinking about the imminence of like collapse, civil conflict, but I do want to be prepared for that, like when, if it happens. I know that's like a very blunt way of talking about it, but it's very real, right? And it's it becomes a thing where it's just like there's there's such an overwhelming amount of uh, people on like the authoritarian right that have access to these tools and know how to use them and. I just want to help like hyper local communities near me and wherever else listeners might be and people who aren't even listeners to like whatever. I want people to be able to defend themselves. And that's fundamentally what it's about for me. For me, I, I want to second everything Camilla and Snow said. I actually like it when they speak for me because they are more eloquent than me and say things that I wanted to say. Just to add on to that, for me, uh, why do I want to own a firearm? It's the utter failure of the state. And I'm not even sure it's correct to call it a failure because it never, like, the state is, is, is the state never protects people like us, right? The state exists for the benefit of the ownership class, white, white men. And it doesn't, it's not a failure to protect us. It never was designed to do that in the first place. So when you're talking about community defense, Snow's right. You don't bring a knife to a gunfight. You get the best tools for the job. I hope I never have to use a firearm in self-defense. Community defense to me, like, you know, I'm not even saying, you know, no one's got to go. I'm not saying that anyone's got to go Antifa super soldier and, you know, go march around out there. Although some people do that. But community defense to me can be as simple as, you know, giving someone like pepper spray, right? Which is an extremely effective deterrent. Go on our, go on our Instagram, see us blasting one of our homies in the face with it. It, it, I almost puked and I was (laughs) like, I was there. I almost puked. Um, 
you know, it can be just teaching someone who, who is interested in guns, like how to, you know, how to use a gun. Like, you know, maybe they want to get into guns and like learn how to use them themselves or worst case scenario, at least they know, you know, gun safety, but you can't, you can't rely on a government or the state to protect you. And in many cases you, they, you can rely on them to probably harm you. So you just got to do it. You just got to do it yourself, rely on yourself and the people in your community and the people that you trust and your friends. Yeah. And to interject my own answer to the question that I asked you all, like just thinking from what you are talking about, one of the things that I think about a lot is that like, cause people, you know, I think sometimes people don't arm up because they're like, well, I would lose a gunfight and right. Well, like maybe like probably like you, you don't really win gunfights. You survive them. Right. And for me, a lot of it is just about like, people say like, oh, not being a statistic, right? Because like, I don't want to get murdered. Like sometimes people look at me like they want to murder me when they realize I'm a man or whatever, you know, after they're like, they're checking me out in a dress or whatever. And, and I don't want to get murdered, but I also just like, don't want to passively get murdered. Like it, for me, I don't know if this resonates, but like, it's not that I think I'll win. It's that I get to like shoot them also. Like it becomes fair. And so then I'm like, all right, well, I fucking lost. Okay. Like, I mean, I don't want to lose. I don't even want to play. I don't want to fight, but I don't know. No, I think that's super valid. I think that's, that's very real. Like, and I don't know. The, especially for uh, us trans folks, like it's, it's a different thing for me politically. It's just like, it's, uh, resistance to like a type of genocide, genocidal conditions that exist in our country towards gender deviance. So, and sexuality, but like I'm thinking specifically about like yeah. the the obvious um, violence that's directed towards trans people. And yeah, fuck yeah. If if that continues being the case, I'm I'm gonna carry something to defend myself with the same lethal means that will be used against me. If someone just, you know, whimsically decides they want to, which kind of feels like it's the score out there sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah I don't know about y'all, but that's kind of my thing. Snow, you made this point, I think, on a previous podcast. It was just like, did y'all learn nothing from summer 2020? Did y'all learn, did y'all learn nothing from that, that whole experience? And Joe Biden gets elected and we're like, all right, cool. It's all, it's all good. You know, the same people that we're talking about, ACAB. Or whatever it's like well you can't be a cab and be gun control like who do you think is going to take your guns who do you think is going to do that you know you can't i think you made that point snow and it's correct yeah and i think too it's just like i'm fucking i'm not fucking going down without a fight like it's at you know i've fucking come too far you know lincoln park is playing in my head right now and um it's it's like I have so much to fight for, not just for myself, but for my loved ones and my community. And like, it's that drive and like will to live that I've like had to cultivate for some time. It's not something that has come naturally to me. And I've like struggled with my mental health a lot. And so to finally get where I'm at, I'm like, you're not fucking taking that away from me. And if like, you're going to fucking come up on me like that, like it's going to be a problem for you and me. And I really like what you said, Margaret, around like, you don't win gunfights, you survive. Right. And like, I am fucking trying to survive out here, you know, just a hoe trying to make it out here. And um, like, I want that to be 
a choice that I don't have to defend all the time. You know, I feel like I have yeah. to like have a fucking like dissertation for a PhD and like why I deserve to live. Uh, and I'm just tired of it. Like I'm tired of it. Oh my God. That's such a fucking good point. Like I finally just like, by like stock line as I'm like, self-defense is a right. The current most effective form of self-defense in modern society against lethal force is a striker fired nine millimeter semi-automatic handgun. Like... <laughs> I'm dying. I'm dying over here, Margaret. Sorry. Amen. It's just a, a fucking men. And then, you know, on a community level, it's a semi-automatic rifle or carbine, uh, which is a shorter rifle for people who don't keep up with that. I don't actually remember where the barrel lengths change between the definitions, but. Okay. Well, um, you know, there's so much more that I, I want to talk to you about, and I'd love to have you all on again. Um, but it's definitely running long. And then I, I guess I wonder if you have any like final thoughts um, about any of the stuff we've been talking about. I got something. I don't know. Maybe this is like too big or something, but I don't know. Like, I think the people in the yellow apparel, they know me as like just a sort of doomer person. And I am like, that's, that's completely true. But honestly, like one of the funnest things, one of the most like empowering things is like when I'm out there, like with my friends and I'm like shooting. And a lot of times like I fucking suck. doesn't matter. Like it's fun. And I, I feel better about life. I mean, it sounds cheesy, but it's true. All right. Well, um, where can people find you? I know you're not really online or anything like that, but, um, I, you know, it's funny. I, people, I get in trouble for my dry sense of sarcasm a lot, and it's been really kicking in really hard in the past couple months. Um, but where can people find you online or, or find out more about what you do? We are on a few platforms. Um, our main platform is Instagram, yellow underscore peril, P-E-R-I-L underscore tactical. And we're also on the Twitter regrettably um but our twitter is at ypt actual um and if you ever want to send us an email we're at yellow.peril.tactical at protonmail.com and we also have a website but we don't really do anything with the website i think it's just yellowperiltactical.com but that's where to find us we got it because we got us we got it because we didn't want anyone else taking the website true domain wars (laughs) And if you're on Instagram, keep typing it in because we're sort of like shadow banned. You have to type in like like yellow underscore peril underscore tack and then it usually shows up. And you all have a podcast. What's it called? How can people find that? Yeah, our podcast um, is Yellow Peril Tactical Tiger Block B-L-O-C podcast. And we're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify um, and you can also find us on Patreon. I say Patreon because <laughs> I want to be British sometimes. But um, yeah. we're on Patreon. Give us a follow. It's just to help us cover our costs. We don't make any profits off of it. But this is something we do in our free time. And John Chinaman, what's our Patreon? Uh, you can find it. The best way to find it is actually like going to like our Instagram or Twitter and looking in the link tree and uh, just click on it. Uh, it's, it's, it's there. Okay, and it looks like y'all's Patreon is patreon.com slash yellow underscore peril underscore tactical. Thank you so much for listening. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell people about it. Uh, tell them on the internet or tell them about it in person with while wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, depending on your risk analysis and how well you know the person. You should tell people about the show if you liked it, which you probably didn't hate it because you made it this far. And you can also do all of the internet things as well. You can subscribe and rate and review and do all of those things that make machines tell other people to listen to this podcast. You can also support this podcast by supporting Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness, our publisher, on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash strangers in a tangled wilderness. And we are publishers of radical culture where we've been putting out zines and podcasts and pop culture reviews and, and fiction and, and poetry even maybe and a whole bunch of other stuff. And you all are going to help make it happen. Well, some of you all are. The people who support us on Patreon are making it happen. And I'm very excited. It, it, there's nothing more amazing than watching a project be able to come forth and and do so much stuff because strangers and tangled wilderness has been around for almost 20 years but it's been on and off and, and watching it get reinvented anew like a phoenix from the flames yeah i'm gonna leave in that terrible metaphor and you can help and you can help by supporting us on patreon and in particular i would love to thank Haas and Chris, Sam, Nora, Hugh, Kirk, Natalie, Eleanor, Jennifer, Starro, Chelsea, Dana, David, and Nicole for making this possible. And well, that's all for me. And I hope you're doing as well as, as you can in everything that's happening. Mm-hmm.